Um, Christmas Eve's coming up, and as you heard in the announcements that Eric gave you, we are doing an outdoor service. We'll be online as well. In fact, tomorrow, I record the message I'm going to give there, different than the one you're going to hear today, about Christmas Eve, and that's coming up uh, on Christmas Eve. You can hear that online if you can't come to the outdoor service. We have four outdoor services, and I'm going to challenge you, every one of you, to do something for me. Pray that it won't rain. It's supposed to rain. It's supposed to get really warm. It's supposed to go up to like 60. Wouldn't that be awesome? So thank you, Lord. That's half my request. Now the other half, no rain. So I'm going to just ask the Lord. I mean, that may not be his plan. Uh, I'll go with whatever he does. But I'm going to say, Lord, please be merciful and allow it not to rain. We got these fire, uh, smokeless fire pits we bought. They're not, so we won't be filling the place with smoke, but we'll keep warm. We got uh, hot apple cider. We got Christmas carolers. We got a choir. We, I mean, it's, it's, you got a God of work story that'll knock your socks off. I mean, it's going to be great. So you got to come here if you can. It's going to be a great celebration. There's no Dickens Fest this year. I mean, invite your neighbors. Say, come on out. In fact, I was at a restaurant just the other night, and someone said, hey, we're coming to that service. Isn't that great? Welcome to you online, too. I hope you guys consider this, and please, would you pray for this as well? I'm going to pray with you in just a few minutes, but I'd like to pray for that. So let's challenge the Lord to, to bless us. Let's ask the Lord to use us. That, that Christmas Eve service, just coming up Thursday night, to be able to reach people for the Lord. Uh, you got, I've been doing this 40 years, guys. Christmas Eve is a huge opportunity. People who don't often come to church come then. And probably now more than ever, they need to hear the story of who Jesus really is and the truth about what he came for. He came for them. So would you bow with me in prayer right now? Lord, we come before you knowing that there's many, many people out there that need the Lord desperately. Many of us were like them until we came to this church or we found the Lord and it's changed everything. You've saved our soul from utter destruction on this earth as well as the life to come. So Lord, I pray that the light would shine bright at this church. I pray that the weather would be perfect. Dear God, hold back the rain. I'm just asking because you're a merciful God. You say your mercy endures forever, so Lord, would you please be merciful to our church. Allow us to have these four services outside, even the beautiful candlelight ones, being able to celebrate, sing to you, praise you, thank you, and have a message reminding us again who Jesus really is for each and every one of us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, uh, we've been going through a series of Advent messages. And, you know, Advent is based around four words. You know that, right? The four words which we've been going through are hope, because that's what Jesus came to give us hope. Jesus came to give us peace, is told in the scriptures. And Jesus came to give us joy. And Jesus came to give us his love. So we're going through those one at a time. We've already been through the one about hope and the one about peace. And today we're going through the one about joy. I'm really glad that, that they let me do this one on joy because uh, probably like you, I've had uh, you know, lots of friends in my life. I'm a friendly guy and I like having new friends. And I've met a lot of people, I bet you could say this too, who have tried for a long time in a lot of different ways to find joy, you know, something significant, uh, the exhilaration, having your life fit together and things work. And they pursued it with money. They pursued it with jobs. They pursued it with sports. They pursued it with careers and hobbies and, 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 and adventures and vacations. 
One guy that comes to my mind is my old boss. When I lived in Dallas, Texas, while I was working my way through seminary, I had a boss named Larry Carver. Larry was a go-getter. In fact, he was from New York City, and he, he... Larry was trying really, really, really hard. I think what, that's part of what the Lord had him be my boss for, was to teach me about somebody that, you talk about extreme. Larry was extreme, and he was trying his hardest to find joy. Larry, when I met him, was on his fifth marriage. So he was trying to find joy, and he'd find some other woman, say, well, it must be in this woman, not in that woman, and that must be in this woman, and five times. Can you imagine that? He had a bullet in his back from the fourth one. I mean, Larry was a character, but he was trying so hard to find joy, and he never found it because he never found Jesus. So when the scriptures tell us that we're supposed to rejoice because Jesus come to give us joy, this is a very serious invitation to you and to me as well. It was an invitation to the people in those days, but an invitation to us as well. For example, I'd like to read the passage right now with you, um, and w- w- which is in Luke chapter 2, where it talks about joy. And if you remember, Jesus had already been born to Mary and Joseph, right? And they're in this manger scene, which is really like a farm, and it's like a corral in a farm. And he's in, in, in this manger, which is really a scratch-your-head kind of a weird thing, like God is going to come to earth in a barn? Like, this makes no sense. And I'm telling you, there's a purpose for that. And we start to see it here because the first people he goes and announces it to are a bunch of farmers. These shepherds taking care of their sheep. Let's read it. Ready? Luke chapter 2, starting with verse 8, reads like this. And in the same region, now that's referring to Bethlehem. Bethlehem is often called the city of David because David himself was born there and raised there. So we'll see that referred to later. But in the same region, right around Bethlehem, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. Probably had no idea that this baby was born in the barn. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. Of course, I mean, they're expecting wolves or coyotes or something to bother the sheep, but an angel. Can you imagine the brightness of that? would be blinding. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. There's that word of great joy. That's why you shouldn't be afraid because I'm going to bring you great joy. That will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts. In other words, a multitude of angels praising God and saying, Glory to God. Now, the word glory means credit, recognition, honor. So saying honor or recognition to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Wow. (laughs) That's a pretty phenomenal thing, isn't it, going on there? Um, How did they react? Well, they reacted probably like you and I would, with great fear. Like, what is this? Ah. Probably no one in this room has seen an angel. I can't say that I've ever seen an angel. That would be pretty spectacular. So they're extremely fearful. And what does the angel say? Well, don't be afraid. Why, why, why shouldn't I be afraid? I'm overcome with this emotion of fear. And you're saying, stop it. You don't need to be. Why? Because he said, I'm bringing you good news to catch that of great joy. 
I've come to tell you about how you can get joy in your life, he's saying, that will be for all the people, and not just for you, but for all the people. I want you to notice a couple of words. Look at the next sentence, verse 11. For unto you, that's really interesting. He's talking to farm laborers here. Unto you is born this day in the, in the city of David. You know, unto you. You know, I think that's why he went to these shepherds. I mean, why would God not, not announce this to kings or political rulers? Why wouldn't he go announce it to the religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees? No, he picks a bunch of farmers. Now, I'm pretty sure I would have been very impressed with these guys because I, I like guys like this. They're very unpretentious, simple guys. Uh, you know, like I said, laborers, working with their hands, hardworking kind of guys. I bet everybody here, you probably like a guy like that. These are honest to goodness good guys. And they're just doing their job, taking care of the sheep. And, and they get the one, they're the ones that get the announcement. And then he says, you should be filled with joy because what? A Savior's coming. And he says, the way you're going to find this Savior, the way you're going to find this joy is what? Go find the baby. Go find Jesus. Go see Jesus. I'm, I'm saying to you, I think it's very much the same with you and me today. You and I live in one of the most fearful years I'm sure you've ever had in your life, certainly I've ever had in my life. I mean, with the pandemic and all that's going on with that, craziness, and, and politics, which is insane nowadays, the weather, I mean, we had more hurricanes than I've ever remembered in my history here. Hurricanes have been hitting the East Coast like crazy. The economy, who knows what's going to happen there. Social unrest has all been crazy. It's almost like an angel could have done the same thing right now to you and me. Fear not. Oh, but we're overcome with fear. I mean, there's a paranoia across America. I don't know about the rest of the world, but across America, like I've never seen before. It's like an angel would come and say, fear not. Well, why not? Why shouldn't we be afraid? Look at the economy. Look at the politics. Look at the pandemic. He's saying, fear not. Why? Because I give you great, a good news of great joy. The Savior's come. Jesus. Well, how, do, how am I going to go find him? Find him for your life. Go see him. Look at Jesus. You know, that, that's what I put down is the big idea of this whole sermon. You can find the joy you're missing in Jesus. I think that it could be easily said that all of us are like my, my old boss, Larry. We just want joy. We just want some enjoyment. We, we want some life to live that comes together and works. And so we try and we try and we work and we work and we discipline ourselves or we buy this or buy that or sell this or sell, trying to find it and he's saying don't do that it's found in a person it's in Jesus you need to see him for yourself look look at I want to ask three questions right now and I want you to look at the first question it reads like this what is joy let's define this idea of what joy is joy is I think more than when just the pieces of life seem to fit together which we all try real hard to do, like my old boss, Larry. It's more than having elaborate vacations. Oh, Larry would tell me about unbelievably elaborate vacations he took. It's more than having healthy babies and healthy kids. It's more than having nice stuff and nice Christmas events and family social times and, and more and better stuff. I mean, not like those things are wrong. Those things are not wrong. They're good. 
but they're all inadequate to give you what the Bible defines as real joy. Let me explain. Let me just show you three different passages in the Bible that talk about joy, and maybe this will open up your mind and your heart to what joy really is. For example, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, the author's talking about Jesus. He says, and Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. Well, that's weird. A cross and joy in the same sentence? How could enduring the cross bring you joy? It must be more than all the things of life fitting together. It must be more than just an exhilarating experience. It must be more than a nice vacation. It must be more than feelings you have inside. It's, it's, and maybe even more than a frame of mind. Look at another passage. In the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah, who is taking on an impossible task of rebuilding the wall and rebuilding Jerusalem, the temple, I mean, and he's, he's saying this, the joy of the Lord is your strength. In other words, he's challenged the people of Judah, saying, here's how you're going to make it. The joy of the Lord will be your strength. This is an impossible task, almost like looking at this church. How in the world is this church going to get back together? How in the world is America going to get their act back together? It's impossible. It certainly looks impossible, doesn't it? Well, how are we going to do it? The joy of the Lord is going to be your strength. Huh. What does that mean? The joy of the Lord is my strength. Look at another one. In the book of... Um, in, in the book of, of, of John, James, James says the beginning, chapter 1, when he's writing to a church, a bunch of Jewish people that he was trying to help get back on track with the Lord, he says, count it all joy when you encounter various trials. What? Here's joy again in the midst of trials. Do, do they speak to you at all? Do you feel like you have an impossible task to accomplish maybe in your marriage, maybe with your kids, maybe with your finances or your job or your boss? Larry was not that much fun to work for sometimes. Are you having all those things? Does this just resonate with you that, yeah, okay, what is this joy? This is, this is a lot of what the angels were trying to tell these farmers, these farm kids, these guys taking care of the sheep. You could have joy, but you've got to be able to see Jesus in the midst of it. That's what I'm challenging you. You're in the midst of a pandemic. You're in the midst of fearful things in your life. Or, or do you see Jesus, or do you just see the problem, just see the obstacle, just see the impossible task, just see the pain? You'll never find the joy. I think many of us won't even go look for Jesus in the midst of our pain or suffering or difficulty. When James even says, you're supposed to count it all joy when you encounter various trials. Are, are we even trying to see Jesus? It's funny, because in this story, it's all, these angels say, well, you just you go there, you'll be in a manger, you just go see Jesus, and you'll get the joy. You'll understand the joy. That's where it starts. It's in a person. You know, um, in trying to put this together, I was reading a passage, and this commentator was making a comment about it. He says, joy is a feeling in the Bible, very much an emotion. It's supposed to be an emotional feeling that is produced in you by God through the Holy Spirit. We're going to look more clearly at a couple other New Testament passages that seem to define that even more. But the reason you can have joy in the midst of trials or difficulties or impossible tasks is because you have the Lord. You need to depend on Him and trust Him. Um, you can't really snap your fingers and just get joy or somehow think it up or work it up or discipline it up. It's a, it's a thing of belief. 
You know, back in my 20s, my brother and I um, used to go camping a lot <clears throat> up in northern Minnesota and up into Canada. Oh, we'd take canoes and my, him and his buddies and me and my buddies, and we'd go up there, we'd go canoeing and fishing, and you know how I love fishing, and we'd be camping outdoors and stuff, and uh, you know, you're in tents, and you're on lake after lake after lake. Northern Minnesota and southern Canada, there's just full of lakes, and you'd portage from one lake to another lake, to another, which means carry the canoe on your back, get to the next lake, go to the next lake. And of course, we're in our 20s, we're in good shape, or, and my brother's almost like a military sergeant commanding us to go, and we'd go miles and miles just to see if we could do it kind of thing. One night, we're in our tent, fire's out, we already had supper, go to bed, get up early in the morning, you know, and head out again, and in the middle of the night, there's something outside. I can hear it, what's that? Pretty sure it's a bear. Now, it's just a black bear, it's not a grizzly bear, but still, it's a black bear. If she's got cubs or something, we're in real trouble, because you know how mother bears are with their cubs. So be real quiet. Do you think maybe we had the emotion of fear? Yeah. You don't just say, I think I'll be afraid now. No. <laughs> it just happens to you, right? It's an emotion. It comes over you. Well, the word joy is the same way. It comes over you. You can't snap your fingers and say, you know what? I think I'll have joy right now. You can't think it up. You can't work it up. You can't even discipline it. You can't discipline yourself enough to have joy, even in the midst of a bear coming on you or your difficulty <clears throat> or the trials you're facing. What these authors are all talking about for the joy set before me endured the cross is a belief. It's a willingness to say, okay, I'm trusting the Lord right now. <laughs> we did that in the tent. We prayed very sincerely, Lord, get the bear away. Don't let him find the food. You know, he had it hauled up in the tree, all the things you're supposed to do. It's a situation where you make a clear decision. The first thing you need to learn about joy, as I tried to put down here, in, in the idea of what is joy, is joy is something that only God can give you by the Holy Spirit when you put your faith and trust in Him. Do you have joy? Often we, we don't because of these kinds of lack, uh, this kind of a lack of decision or clear thinking of belief. Let me look at another question with you. Number two question. What does Jesus have to do with joy? <clears throat> In the book of John, Jesus was talking himself to the disciples. If you remember this passage in John 14, 15, 16, it's pretty phenomenal teaching. In 15, Jesus had just been talking about, remember that, remember what he said? I am the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in me and I abide in you. In other words, just like a branch abides in the vine to get the, the juice to live on, to bear fruit, he, he's saying, in the same way, I'm telling you, you need to abide in me. And then he says, I'm teaching all of you this for a reason. So that what? Look at verse 11. Chapter 15, 11. <clears throat> These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you, really, and that your joy may be full. There's the word joy repeated twice in one sentence. I've spoken these things to you so that you can have joy. Well, do you? He would say the problem is you need to learn to abide in me. That's where the joy's gonna come from. Abide in me, remain in me is another translation. We need to learn to remain in the Lord to find the joy. That's what he's trying to say here, right? 
I remember reading a scholar the other day <clears throat> named Dr. John Oswald, a scholar down in uh, Kentucky, Old Testament Bible scholar. And he's saying, you know, this statement that Jesus makes could apply to the entire Bible. He says, because all the Bible was written to you and to me and to all of humanity for one purpose, that we could have joy. Really? Yeah. He says, because the whole Bible obviously is God trying to have a relationship with us. So he writes a book to us, literally records history and all these different things that happen to all these different people so we can begin to see that he loves us, he cares for us, he wants us to have joy. In fact, isn't that what heaven's all about? Someday we'll be in complete joy with him for all eternity in heaven. It's the whole purpose of the Bible. Was God to give you joy? Well, are you experiencing that? Uh, la last couple of weeks, I've been listening to this guy that I, I found on YouTube. He's an older guy like me, but he started this ministry years and years ago called Pure Life Ministry. And I don't know where I was, but I, I always miss this guy. His name is Steve Gallagher. And what he does is he tries to help guys who are addicted to pornography get off of it. He says, people don't realize how addictive pornography is. He says, it's as bad or worse than alcohol or drugs. And he tells about his story. In his story, he says, you know, I thought if I could have the pleasure of this or see this or experience these things or have this exhilaration, I would find joy. And he says, I was so wrong. And all I did is become more and more disillusioned, more and more miserable. He says, and this addiction carried into my Christian life when I became a Christian in my teen years. I was still addicted and falling back into this stupidity. And it was ruining my life, making me more and more miserable because I didn't realize the joy of my life, the fulfillment of my life was all in Jesus. And he says, I started getting that reality into me. He says, it took time to grow, but it grew on me. Oh, it's a beautiful thing that, that he started. He's got a couple of places and rehab centers he has in Kentucky where he brings guys and helps them get set free. But when I was listening to him, he came up with this ingenious approach to the Sermon on the Mount. And I never thought of it until I was reading this about joy, and I thought, well, Jesus starts the Sermon on the Mount with what? The Beatitudes. And what are the Beatitudes? Blessed. He keeps repeating this word. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed. Remember? Blessed, blessed, blessed. That's what, so he's trying to attract people to listen to him by saying, you want to be blessed? You want to be blessed? Blessed means happy. Blessed means more than happy. It means joyful. How could you get this joyful life? How could you get this? Well, look what Jesus said. And, and Steve Gallagher goes, you know, sometimes it helps me to understand what blessed or joyful is if I look at the opposite. So let me share with you what he shared with me. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. That's how he started the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And miserable are those who are full of themselves. A poor in spirit person is like humble. Whereas someone who's proud is miserable, he's saying, because they're full of themselves. Look at this one. Blessed are those who mourn. What did he mean? He meant miserable are those who strive after temporal happiness. He said, blessed are the meek. What do you mean? And, and miserable are those who are self-willed, who fight for their own way. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. He meant that miserable are those who are, are, are apathetic to God's things and the things of God. He said, blessed are the merciful. Remember, for they shall receive mercy. And miserable 
are those who are self-centered, who never try to meet anybody else's needs. He, Blessed are the pure in heart. Why? He says, and, and miserable are those whose hearts are full of idols. Blessed are the peacemakers, and miserable are those who are troublemakers and always seeking to divide. I share that with you because often we go running and chasing and trying and our lust drives us, our greed drives us, our selfishness drives us to misery. I'll never forget. I was taking a class in Dallas. I just thought of this right now. I'm not sure why, but I'll tell it to you. So the other services may not get this one. This is free. This is for you. And Dr. Paul Meyer, a Christian psychiatrist, was the teacher. And he said, many of the disorders and problems and psychological problems people have are because they're ruled by self and their selfishness. What? I'm thinking, it's not that simple. He says, no, it's very complex. But at the root of it is a self-ruled life, which is exactly what Jesus is trying to say in the Sermon on the Mount. And Steve Gallagher was trying to point out, when you run it, when you are your own Lord, you will be miserable. Because you weren't made for that. And God actually made you to have joy with Him. Closer you get to Him, more joy you'll have. Let me explain this further. Point three. What do I have to do to get joy? That's a big question, isn't it? How do you get it? Well, there's one passage of Scripture that tells you straight out. Turn with me to Romans chapter 15. Look at verse 12. Romans 15, 12. Excuse me, 13. Romans 15, 13. May, may the God of hope, this is his concluding statement here, fill you with all joy, there's the word, and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, there's the mention of the Spirit again, you may abound in hope. It seems as though the Apostle Paul's trying to point out that you can have joy in the midst of all kinds of situations, all kinds of circumstances, but it's not your circumstances that are going to give you joy. No, you're going to find it where? In believing. Key word to the whole verse, right? May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. In trying harder. In being better, no. In believing more. In being more disciplined and working harder, no. In having more experiences, getting things to line up so the circumstances of life make me happy, that's impossible. You can't do it. No one can. No matter what the circumstances, it comes in believing. That's where the joy is found. Joy is found in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. He's like, well, when you believe, the Holy Spirit is set free to fill you with this joy. That, isn't that an amazing promise? God made you for joy. That's what the Bible teaches us. He made us for he, him to enjoy us. And he made us to have joy, and is going to bring us to heaven someday to be in complete joy with him. Joy is a huge word from the Old Testament all the way to the New Testament. I could have showed you a lot more verses that include that word joy. So my question to you would be, you got it? Or are you miserable? Do you have joy? Or, or not? Like the video we watched be, that doesn't mean you'll never grieve or you'll never be sad about something. No, joy is deeper than that. And it comes through this kind of belief and surrender to him. 
As I was preparing for this message, I was thinking through um, different people that I know who seem to demonstrate joy in their life, like no matter what. I hope you're getting the perspective real clear here. Joy is something that the circumstances of life can't change. Happiness, yeah, maybe that can be changed by circumstances, but not joy. And you can have joy because Jesus has come to give it to you. But when I was thinking through people I know that have joy, I thought of people like Ben and Christy, which you just already saw their video. They are having the time of their life. They enjoy it. Does this mean they don't have troubles? Oh my gosh, they have all kinds of problems going on in Ukraine. <laughs> and with staff members and things like that, they share those with us. But they have joy in the midst of it. Fulfillment, satisfaction, a deep sense of joy. Or I think of uh, my wife had an aunt named Aunt Helen. It was one of her mom's sisters. Her mom was from a huge family. And Aunt Helen was a single woman missionary in Guatemala. And I remember meeting her a couple times at her dad's house and stuff, at Lori's dad's house. And uh, man, this lady, you, you just felt it when you're around her, this peace, this joy. Never got married. She even got proposed to two or three different times when she was in college and afterwards turned them all down. Felt like, no, that's not what God's want me to do. And became a single woman missionary who was a nurse, who took care of people in Guatemala, built a hospital, did some amazing things, wrote some textbooks, an amazingly intelligent person. But when around her, you could feel the joy. You could see the joy. And I started putting two and two together thinking, joy seems to follow those. Joy seems to be with those who are the most committed, those who are the most surrendered to him. When Lori and I, in 1991, went to Indonesia, which is on the other side of the world, over by Australia, all these different islands, and we're hopping around from plane to plane, island to island, and in one of these places, a guy named Gunther Kamphausen, a German missionary with the Christian Missionary Alliance, was showing us around, and I was struck by Gunther's joy. The guy had been through cancer, you know, dengue fever, malaria, all kinds of problems with missions and Muslims and terrorists after him. He was filled with joy. I'm, I'm a young man in my 40s looking at him thinking, wow, this guy's got it. He, he's got joy. Severely, completely committed to the Lord. Or just a week or two ago, I, I was talking to my friend Aaron McCullough. Aaron McCullough is the pastor of uh, Willingboro Baptist. And he's got this mission in Africa. I called him on the phone in November to talk to him. He goes, hey, sorry, I can't talk right now. I'm in Africa. I'm like, Africa? How in the world did you get to Africa? This is the pandemic. So when he got back home, he called me up. I said, you were in Africa? He says, yeah, I was there in July too. I go, how'd you get over there? He says, humanitarian relief ticket, you know. He says, they keep delaying the flights, but finally they let you go. And he says, there's so many people there, Marty. They need the Lord so badly. He says, like, the government built this big school, huge school for the kids to go to because they need education. But he says, there's no way to get there because during the flood stage, which is most of the year, this little creek that's 30 feet wide becomes 100 yards wide with 20 feet deep water. He says, people drowned in it every year. And he says, I thought, I got to build a bridge. So he says, I've been getting all the engineering, all the materials over there, doing all the stuff. I'm going back in January if anybody wants to go. He says, invite anybody from your church, but they got to be willing to work <laughs> really hard. But guys, I'm telling you all this because talking to Aaron on the phone, the joy was just, I mean, I'm almost weeping. Like, 
Aaron, I even said to Aaron, are you going to be a pastor or missionary? He says, Marty, I'm too stupid to figure it out. I don't know. I'm just doing what's so exciting. It's so joyful. I can't stop. Like, why wouldn't I go there? These people need the Lord, and they're just jumping at it. They all want to find Jesus. And now I can build a bridge so these kids could go to school. It's just a walking bridge, but it's just amazing, the joy. Guys, I'm telling you, there's something to this. If you're lacking joy, maybe it's because you're so self-focused. It's like the Sermon on the Mount. You'll be miserable like that. You'll find joy when you give your life to Jesus. Well, I intentionally wanted to keep this sermon a little shorter, so I'm, I'm going to finish right about now with three things I want you to know in the conclusion about joy. Here they go. Number one, for you to find the joy that was promised to you, already been promised to you by Jesus, by his coming. Remember, the angel said, I bring you good news of great joy. You just have to find Jesus. So the first thing is, no matter what situation you're in, no matter what difficulty you're facing, no matter what trial you're in, can you see Jesus? Maybe you're very confused, but you just say, Lord, I'm trusting you're here. And this is very much the second thing you need to do is believe Jesus. You need to believe he is here. He is there. He is going to provide. He is going to care for you. What, maybe the doctor just diagnosed you with cancer. Maybe you're facing some difficulties in your marriage and it looks, looks impossible. That's where Jesus is. He's right there in the midst of the pain and the confusion. But you are only going to find joy when you believe. You have to turn away from doubt and say, you know, Lord, it doesn't make any sense right now, but I'm, I'm going to trust you. You want me to have joy in you. The joy of the Lord is your strength. That's what Nehemiah said, facing the impossible task of rebuilding the wall. And lastly, I just mentioned to you a few missionaries and stuff. There's people even in our church, I've seen joy in some of you. How? Gave your life to Jesus. I mean, sincerely. I don't know about you, but I gave my life to Jesus over like 50 years ago. And then I've done it over and over and over and over. And over. It's like the Lord keeps raising me to another level, saying, okay, you ready for this now? Oh, no, no, I didn't know. Okay, you know. Yeah. Maybe you're at one of those points right now. You're at a growth point. What are you going to choose? I learned from some of these missionaries I've seen how to get joy. Many of them have faced trials and difficulties like I never could imagine. You think your life's tough? Oh my gosh, I could tell you stories. But then I meet these people and they're full of joy. What? They can see Jesus, they trust Jesus, and they give their life to him. Let's pray. I don't know where you're at in your heart and mind, but if you're willing, would you pray in your heart along with me? This is, this is the end of the service. We don't have a band coming out or anything else. This is it. Are you ready to make a decision? The first one is just decide to see Jesus. That's step one. Whether it's the, the COVID virus, your finances, your health, the weather, your house, the kids. Could you say, Jesus, I see you. I know you're in this. I'm going to trust you. That's the second step.
I'm going to trust you. Maybe it's trusting him more than just as your savior, but maybe it's coming to that first step. I'm going to trust you to save me. You're going to save me now. You're going to save me in the midst of this. You're going to save me for all eternity. You are my savior. That's what the angels really meant. That's the promise given to you and me, just like to the shepherds. Lord, you're my savior. Save me now. Oh, there's nothing wrong with praying that prayer every day. Save me now, Lord. Save me from the misery of myself, the misery of me trying to find joy and make joy happen in my life. I'll never make it. I'll never be able to do it. It's believing you. Quit trying to think it up, make it up, work it up. You can't do it. It's in believing. You have to believe it up. So Lord, if you're with me now, we're gonna tell the Lord, Lord, right now, I'm gonna believe you. That's my choice. Just like my decision to come to Jesus, I'm believing you. And then thirdly, take a breath. Will you give your life down? Oh God, probably won't call most of us here to become missionaries in Africa or anything like that. But he wants you to be a missionary here. He wants to be a missionary in your family. He has a mission for you, a, a, a thing he wants you to accomplish through your life. Can you just say, okay, Lord, it's not about me anymore. It's about you. I surrender all. Take it, Lord. Use me. May I be able to experience your joy as you use me to accomplish impossible things, to see people come to Christ, to see my life change, my kids, my wife, my husband, whatever it be. So see Jesus, believe in Jesus, and give Jesus your life. That's what this prayer is about. And we're praying it to you, Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. Thank you, Lord, for coming to us. God bless. Amen. Well, I hope to see you Christmas Eve at the outdoor service when it's sun is shining and there's no rain. Keep praying. But well, you promised me now you'd keep praying. Keep praying for that. We're going to be like hounding God about this. Lord, come on. So keep praying and I'll see you then. God bless you. Merry Christmas.